Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 28th of August 2022, 9.30 service. Tom Butters speaking on Why I Am a Christian. I'm uh, Tom, Thomas Butters, but I go by Tom. Um, and you might know my wife, Sarah, and my son, Matthew. You probably heard him shouting during the service in the uh, quiet time for prayer, and I'm sorry about that. Um, but it's only going to get worse because uh, my wife and I are expecting another baby in October. So we're very excited, if a little bit daunted. Um, well, it's a great pleasure to be able to speak to you today. And uh, thank you for letting me share my story about why I'm a Christian. It's such a privilege to have a voice and to be heard while so many Christians around the world are unable to do so for fear of persecution. Um, my testimony today focuses on listening to God's guidance and following in the path he lays out for one. Um, and I feel like I need to start by saying that I've had a very privileged life and upbringing, um, as many people in uh, London have, but even a privileged life is not necessarily one without struggle. So I was... Um, Born in Cleveland, Ohio, in the USA, on the 26th of December, 1992, not wanting to overshadow a very important birthday around the same time. Um, I was born to John and Jody Butters, two young South Africans who had recently emigrated to America on account of my dad's job. Um, he was an accountant, and my mum was a teacher who taught maths and English at high school. My elder brother was born almost three years earlier than me uh, in Johannesburg, South Africa, and he now works in New York as a banker. Um, I remain very close to all of my family members uh, to this day, um, and we see each other as much as possible. About six months after I was born in the United States, we all moved back to South Africa. However, owing to the rising crime and the difficult political situation across much of South Africa at the time, my parents made the very difficult decision to leave their beloved homeland and move to the UK when I was about three years old. My father had a British passport, as does his father and his father before him, um, so he's able to take us all to the UK together as a family. And so at the time, my father's company uh, were very keen on him staying in South Africa and essentially wouldn't allow him to transfer to the UK office. And so in a very brave move, uh, determined to, to travel to the UK, he quit his job in South Africa. And we landed in the UK um, together as a young family. And my dad was jobless. If asked about why he was so certain that moving to the UK was the right move, and it was, my dad would just say that he had a gut feeling. Now, I know that that gut feeling was, in fact, God's guidance, even if he didn't know it. As with most South African immigrants at the time, as you might have noticed, we put down roots in Wimbledon. And there is where we stayed for the next 26 years. Fortunately, my father did find work quickly in the UK as an accountant, in fact, at the same company that he left in South Africa. Um, and we quickly settled into a new life and a very happy life in a new country. I grew up in a Christian household. However, it was my mum who really drove this belief. My mum has always been a devout Christian herself, having grown up in a very strongly religious family in South Africa. And while my father has always been a deeply philosophical and somewhat spiritual man, in his adulthood, he's always been what one would might call uh, an agnostic. Even so, when I was young, all four of us, my brother included, attended Emmanuel Church in Wimbledon every Sunday. As we grew, unfortunately, my brother began to lose his faith, and once he hit 
um, his teenage years, he never again had a relationship with the church. And I don't believe he's ever again had a relationship with God. At the same time, my dad stopped attending church and instead put his mind to other pursuits. And this left just my mum and me attending church for a number of years. Throughout my childhood, teenage years, and indeed my whole life, I have always considered myself a Christian. However, as with many Christian children, I can now see that it wasn't until much later in life that my faith really became my own. I hadn't developed a deep relationship with God, and in many ways, I took his works for granted. My first big challenge in life came when I was 11 years old. I was on holiday in South Africa, visiting relatives, fighting off lions, you know, the standard thing one does there. Um, and it was at this stage that I started to become unwell. I started needing to pee constantly, sorry for the too much information, and it got to the stage where I couldn't last 30 minutes without having to pee. I was drinking a lot of water, soda, milk. I was thirsty constantly, and I was losing weight. Now, if I was talking to medical students, I'd ask what the diagnosis was, but I won't do that here. Um, a few weeks after my symptoms initially began, I woke up exhausted. I felt like I could barely climb the stairs. My mum took me to the doctor, and I was diagnosed very quickly with type 1 diabetes. I spent a week in hospital, and my life changed dramatically. No longer was I a carefree child, allowed to run and play however I liked. I was a patient with responsibilities and medications tying me down. I couldn't go anywhere without my insulin, my glucose monitor, and sugar tablets in case I had a hypoglycemia, and I was taking four to six injections a day. Every meal came with a calculation of how much insulin I'd need for the amount of carbohydrate that I ate. And although I know that there are much worse diseases out there, certainly, this was still a big knock to my confidence. And then there were the problems with my friends and family. They all treated me differently. Family I'd not seen in a while asked me endless questions about my illness and gave me endless pity. I didn't want any of this. I just wanted to be a normal 11-year-old child. At school, I became less popular, less cool. I didn't have much of a chance, to be fair. I was an awkward boy with diabetes, and my surname was Butters. For those of you who don't know, at the time, the word Butters was coincidentally doing the rounds as a slang term for ugly. Um, clearly, you know, <laughs> not true. Um, <laughs> I prayed to God constantly to cure me of my disease and return my old life to me. However, it soon became clear to me that my prayers were to go unanswered, or at least unanswered as I saw it then. It was at that time on reflection that my faith began to slip. In my teenage years, the church and God waned in importance to me. I stopped attending church regularly and favoured and said, a lie-in. And while I still attended the optional weekly Friday chapel services at my school, and I did become confirmed, I became what one might call a fair-weather Christian, a Christmas and Easter-goer. Soon into my teenage years, I was struck with another affliction, one that I think is far more insidious than type 1 diabetes. Obsessive-compulsive disorder is not what a lot of people see depicted in TV and movies. It's not just about liking things to be neat and tidy. Although the disease often does manifest itself with an obsessive need to be clean, it is the presence of obsessive thoughts which one can't stop thinking about and which one worries about almost constantly. This is then coupled typically with a compulsion, a kind of act that assuages the obsession momentarily. 
This is often washing one's hands repeatedly, turning switches off and on a certain number of times, or repeating phrases. And so the cycle of obsessions followed by compulsions continues to strengthen one another, and OCT grows. My OCD started, for me, with a need to be clean and a fear of germs. I started washing my hands constantly, to the point of bleeding sometimes. The symptoms of my new illness waxed and waned over the coming years, and I would go through periods of trouble and then through periods of calm. But it never truly left me and has been a facet of my life ever since. At that time, I couldn't see any reason why good, uh, God should have let me develop yet another illness. I continued through my school years, and it was around 15 years old that I decided I wanted to do either medicine or veterinary medicine. On essentially a flip of the coin, I chose the former and have regretted it ever since. Just kidding. <laughs> now, you might be wondering why there are pictures of uh, two very famous TV shows, and I don't know, hands up, who's watched either of those TV shows. Yeah, exactly. Now, obviously, in my medical school interview, um, when asked, why do you want to do medicine, um, uh, you say, you know, you want to help people, you want to progress medical science, that sort of stuff. Really honest, good stuff. I think about 90% of my decision was probably because I watched Scrubs in House, but... Um, Anyway, ask any of my generation of doctors, they'll tell you the same thing, um, if they're honest. Anyway, I applied myself, and with not insubstantial help from parents and teachers, I managed to get good grades at school and successfully attain a place at Imperial College London to study medicine. My best and oldest friend, James, also decided to follow me to Imperial to study medicine, and thus our adventure began. It was in Freshers' Week that my friend James introduced me to my now wife, Sarah. She was fun, beautiful, and intelligent, and still is. I liked her immediately. Of course, having been to an all-boys school, I had very limited experience in talking to girls. Now, I'm very embarrassed about what I'm about to tell you, so please remember that I went to an all-boys school. As Sarah and I walked down the street together on that first evening, I tried to get to know her. Sarah was stunning and dressed in a very nice outfit. I wanted to compliment her, and what I meant to say was something like, you look nice, or that's a lovely dress. What I actually said was, I bet you like fashion. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> Luckily, Sarah had a sweet spot for awkward, dorky guys. Now, much to my dismay, while I spent the next few months plucking up the courage to ask Sarah out, she had started to see someone. This relationship of hers lasted almost the rest of her time at university, and this was very painful to me as it, become, it became clear upon reflection that I had fallen quickly in love with her. Unable to be her boyfriend, I settled for the next best thing, her best friend. We had a great deal of fun together at university during lectures, but really, for me, it was never enough. And I started to feel lonely and hard done by, and I began to feel lost and directionless for a number of other reasons. I felt that I was missing a key part of life, and I felt like that was a relationship with a woman. Well, I was missing a key relationship, but not the kind I'd initially thought. Also, this is one of the things I truly regret. At start of university, I didn't join the Christian Medical Fellowship. I didn't join it until much later in my degree, in part because of something a friend said to me. He said, you don't want to be seen as weird, do you? It's a source of great shame to me that I listened to him, and in fact there's a part in the Screwtape Letters which relates perfectly for the, uh, to this. And for those who haven't read the book, I really, really recommend reading it. During the next few years at university, I went through some ups and downs. My OCD had never left me, and slowly began, began to invade into almost all aspects of my life. 
I became extremely fearful of exams, and as a result, I began to study very hard. As a kind of side effect of my exam anxiety, I achieved highly at university and got awarded a number of prizes. This gave me some sense of satisfaction, but soon after each success, I'd feel empty again. I felt alone. The woman I loved was with another man. I had no real God, uh, goals, and I had no real relationship with God. During my fourth year at university of the sixth year degree, my OCD began to take a turn for the worse. And at times I wouldn't be able to even go outside of the house for fear of contamination from germs. I don't know if any of you have seen the film The Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio, but for those of you who have, I was just a little short of that scene with the milk jars. As a result, depression and anxiety set in. It became increasingly hard to function at medical school. And as is so often the case with mental health disorders, I felt the need to hide it. Nothing seemed to go right for me. Things got quite dark, in fact, and I, wouldn't go, uh, I won't go into too much detail, but bad thoughts started to cross my mind. My mental health fluctuated during the following years, and I was able to experience times of enjoyment, but generally, I was not in a great place. Fortunately, this is where the story gets better. One day, seemingly out of nowhere, one of my more peripheral friends invited me to attend her church. You can see a picture of it there with the very enigmatic um, pastor minister, Matt Hogg. Um, St Albans Church is an HTB uh, plant church, and this was the church where most of the Christian Medical Fellowship attended regular services. It was just outside Charing Cross Hospital, which was our main campus. I agreed to come to the church, and this is where my life changed forever. I felt immediately welcome. Happy faces greeting, greeted me with warmth and care. This church was different to the one that I grew up in, much less formal, and I felt more accessible to the likes of me. The services started with 15 minutes of singing and praising God, with people raising their arms up to him. It seemed unusual to me, but it felt good. When years down the line I asked my now very close friend what had compelled her to ask me to come to the church, she said that she felt that God was telling her that I needed help, and she was right. Now my problems didn't immediately go away, but I felt like a weight had been lifted and a load had been shared. I started listening to hymns and saying prayers often, especially when I felt low or anxious. I started reconnecting with God and I began to welcome the Holy Spirit in again. In a bid to reconnect with my faith, I attended the Alpha course at that church. While much of the course was geared to those who didn't really have a background of being raised in a church community, some of the sessions really connected with me. In particular, I remember one that changed my life forever. Still feeling quite lost about what the future held, one seminar seemed like it had been designed just for me. It was about listening to God's plan, taking yourself out of the driver's seat and following God's path, which he has laid out for me. Before then, I don't think I'd really ever truly heard God speak to me, but from then on, everything seemed to change. God's plans began to make sense to me, and I could often hear him tell me which choices he was guiding me to make. I had rediscovered my faith, and what's more, is that it had become my own. From that point on, I resolved to listen to God and follow his path wherever it led, trusting that his was the right way. Now, not everything was simply easy from this point on, and certainly there have been hardships since, but I was in a much better place and a much more resilient state of mind, and I felt love for God again. No longer did my well-being depend on my achievements or passing exams, and something that my uncle, who was a reverend in South Africa, used to tell me resonated in my mind. He would say, people who put money or power on their 
pedestal are reduced to nothing when they lose it. People who put God on their pedestal can never be reduced to nothing, as God will never fail. At the end of medical school, while studying together for finals, um, could we go to, sorry, could we go a couple of slides ahead? Apologies, I, this is my fault, I am, um, sorry. <laughs> um, could we go to slide uh, 11? Oh, sorry. Uh, oh dear. Okay, well, we'll keep it here. That's okay. I'll, I'll explain. This is my fault. I um, made some last minute changes and didn't tell anyone about them. <laughs> um, at the end of medical school, while studying for finals, as if from nowhere, Sarah professed her love to me. This is actually somewhat a longer story, but perhaps one for another day. Uh, this is actually the right slide, sorry. I, of course, still felt the same way. You'll learn, I'm very scatty. Um, same way about Sarah, and from that moment on, I knew God was telling me that we were going to get married. Sarah and I began dating straight after final examinations, which we both passed, fine, uh, thankfully. We spent a wonderful time in Japan uh, for four months on what is called an elective, and that's essentially after qualifying as a doctor, you go and work abroad for four months anywhere in the world. We chose Japan to sort of get uh, an experience of what medicine is like in other parts um, of the world. Um, I was working at St. Luke's Hospital in Tokyo, uh, which has a beautiful French chapel in it, uh, which in fact was moved stone by stone to its current site in Tokyo, uh, I think from France. Um, very beautiful chapel indeed. Uh, regular services held there as well, even though there's a very small Japanese Christian population, it is growing and um, that's a real, um, I suppose, asset for them, this, this St. Luke's chapel. Sarah and I had an incredible time in Japan doing the things we loved, like hiking and eating Japanese food and growing in love together with God. And about eight months after our trip to Japan, we were engaged. I proposed to her in a very corny way in the canals of Venice on a bridge that I later found out was called Ponte Storto, or the Crooked Bridge. Um, <laughs> and as I recall, Sarah's first words when I led, uh, knelt down and proposed were, if this is a joke, I'm going to kill you. Well, I wasn't prepared to die. So here we are today, married with kids. <laughs> Soon after the elective was over, it was time for Sarah and me to cut our teeth as junior doctors on the wards. It was a difficult transition from being a student to suddenly having a great deal more responsibility. Unfortunately, my OCD began to flare up again, as it is prone to do in stressful situations, and I once more became depressed. However, God's plan soon became evident and I felt compelled to speak to my educational supervisor, an incredible doctor who specialises in palliative care. And it was while I was telling her about my anxiety about the job, out of seemingly nowhere, she interrupted me and asked, are you a Christian? Slightly bewildered, I said, yes. Turned out she was too. From there, she introduced me to a Christian prayer and support group um, of medical staff at the hospital who met weekly. She helped me get the medical help I need, and I was able to cope a lot better on the ward. Ward work was still tough for me, as my OCD meant that I often stayed late after work, double-checking test results and rechecking my work. I did also found, however, that my early experience in life um, as a patient myself gave me a somewhat unique advantage on the ward in that I was able to empathise better with patients and develop a real connection with them. I even had the opportunity to counsel another recently diagnosed young diabetic who was feeling lost. Suddenly, God's plans were become clear, uh, becoming clearer to me um, as prior negatives in my life were being translated into positive effects. 
I think in general I was a good ward doctor, um, although it became clear to me that with my mental health troubles and difficulty managing my blood sugars during on-calls and night shifts, ward-based medicine was not a sustainable career path. I was once more at a loss of what to do, worried about my future. What medical specialty could I cope with? One day, God dropped a solution to my problems into my lap. Someone mentioned to me, completely coincidentally, about the specialty of histopathology, which predominantly consists of using microscopes to um, diagnose and analyse cancer and performing autopsies. Now, sometimes hearing God's plans is more difficult than at other times, but to me this was crystal clear. It just felt right. I spent less than one day shadowing histopathologists, seeing what they do in their department, and I was convinced from that day that it was the job for me. Without any prior experience in the specialty, I applied for it. I interviewed and I got the job. Really, I had no idea what the specialty would entail, but I can tell you this, I've never once doubted my decision since. I had found a rewarding job that I love, and I thank God all the time for his guidance. My OCD currently is the best it has ever been, and I no longer fear going to work. Now, just prior to starting my specialty training in histopathology, Sarah and I got married. We married in Norfolk, near her hometown of Witten, and it was at that time the happiest day of my life. The happiness was unfortunately short-lived. Unbeknownst to Sarah and me, shortly after leaving the wedding, my mum collapsed and began experiencing double vision and an awful headache. She assumed initially that it was a migraine, which she is prone to, but fortunately, her cousin, who is an ophthalmic surgeon and an expert on double vision, was staying in the hotel room opposite her. He quickly diagnosed her as having a more serious underlying problem and arranged for her to be taken to hospital for a scan. She underwent surgery to clip an aneurysm, but sadly experienced a major stroke during the operation. She spent two weeks in neuro-ITU and then a further five months in hospital and stroke rehabilitation. Since then, she's been plagued by complex neuropsychiatric complications, including conditions known as derealization, functional visual loss, depression, and hemiplegia. 50% of people who experience subarachnoid hemorrhage or an aneurysm bursting in their brain don't make it to hospital, let alone make it out of surgery. So we thank God that my mum has come through this at all. It's sometimes difficult to see the reasons for God's plans at the time, and part of me is still wondering why it had to happen. What I will say is some part of God's plan did become clear. I won't talk too much about this as it's really Sarah's story to tell, but during medical school, one of her brothers experienced the same condition, a burst aneurysm. The incidence of it is approximately one in every 20,000 people per year. It is a rare condition, and the odds of it happening to my wife's brother as well as my mum are extremely low. Given their previous experiences, Sarah and her family were able to counsel us and guide us through what was an incredibly difficult time. Our situation was made even harder, unfortunately, by my dad's diagnosis of prostate cancer, for which he had had to undergo surgery. This surgery had to happen about a month after my mum's aneurysm, while she was still very much recovering. The cancer, unfortunately, came back very quickly after the operation, and he had to undergo further hormone and radiotherapy. Thankfully, God has given us the strength to carry on as a family. After the additional treatment and a great deal of prayer, my dad's condition has improved and at the moment he is in remission. Now, of course, in early 2020, shortly after getting married, Sarah and I decided to try for a baby. We were nervous, but excited. I'm not sure if anyone ever feels ready to start a family, but something inside of us told us it was time. 
Of course, at that time, we were still living with my parents in Wimbledon to save money. We knew we needed our own space, and we decided to start the gruelling process of house hunting. After three months of looking for houses, having a number of offers falling through, we felt disappointed and exhausted. We were also aware that our mortgage offer was rapidly running out, and we needed to find a house fast. We were at a loss at what to do, but we kept telling each other to trust in God and that he would provide. One day, on a whim, I searched online once more, as I'd done many times before, for a potential house. One new result popped up at the top of the screen, and it turned out to be perfect for us. It wasn't the house we thought we wanted, but it was the house that God knew we needed. The owners wanted to sell as soon as possible as they were moving to their other home by the coast. The deal was done in record time, and we completed the day before lockdown. Uh, COVID lockdown would have prevented us from moving into our new house. Six months later, Matthew was born, um, and he's been a source of joy and fatigue ever since. Shortly after moving to the area, Sarah and I decided we wanted to put down roots and find a church community. We were walking around the local area trying to get a better feel for it and walked past Christ Church, New Malden. We loved the church building and we decided to listen to some of the Sunday services, which were being done online at the time. Now, Nathan Larkin was preaching, and I must say we were captivated. From hearing that sermon, we decided that this was the church for us. We had loved being welcomed into the community, and um, I've loved even starring in very high-profile Easter productions um, that are sure to bolster my Hollywood career. It's been over two years since we moved to the area, and over this time, things have slowly improved for my mum. My dad is still in remission, and my mum has made excellent progress in her physical therapy, strengthened by her strong faith in God. A few months ago, they actually made the big decision to move back to their home country of South Africa, to try to live out the rest of their lives in peace. They left last Monday, and while we're all very nervous about how it might go, I know that God is looking after them. In fact, I'm quite sure this is all part of God's path, as before they even formally put, down their, uh, put their house on the market, they were contacted by an estate agent who wanted to know if they were thinking of selling their house. They said, yes, we are. And in fact, they had an offer made for it for the asking price the next day. They sold it in record time, but my parents still thought they had the problem to deal with the tenants in their South African house. In fact, the tenants in their South African property had just found a home themselves which they wanted to buy. And without having to ask, they told my parents that they planned to leave imminently. Perfect. Even my brother, who is not religious, admitted that this was, in his own words, spooky. <laughs> to me, this was clearly God's sign that this is meant to be. Now, through following God's path and rediscovering my relationship with him, my life has become so much more fruitful and meaningful. And I thank God for everything that he's given me, a wife, a son, another baby on the way, and the new loving community in Christchurch. I also remain mindful that our successes and our possessions are not really our own, but truly to, uh, belong to God. Things are not always perfect or easy, but knowing that God is at the helm has given me far more resilience to bear the brunt of hard times. Only God knows the future, and often what we think, is, uh, what we think we need is not what God knows we need. I will continue to listen to God's guidance and follow the path that he sets out for me. Now, I know I've spoken for a long time, and I apologise for that. I'm prone to do so. Um, but I just want to talk very briefly about my grandfather. Now, uh, you can see him in the picture there. That's me helping him build his house. He built his own house in South Africa. And that's us in uh, Turkey. A lifelong dream of his was to go and visit the old um, Christian old monuments, I suppose, in, in Turkey. 
Um, and he realized that shortly before he actually passed away, so thank goodness. Um, my grandfather was a classicist, a sculptor, a painter, and a devout Christian. He served as the head of religious broadcasting for a number of years for the South African Broadcasting Center, SABC. And he served for the rest of his life as a subdeacon of his local church. My father-in-law once told me about a useful exercise while I was asking for his advice on how to balance work and home life. He said, imagine your funeral. It's a nice thought. Um, who, would want, who would you want to be there? Who would you want them to, uh, what would you want them to say about you? Well, my grandfather passed away when I was about 16 years old. A few months after our wedding, I took Sarah to South Africa for our honeymoon and we made a trip to his old church where he is buried. His tombstone reads as follows. Here lies William Chalmers, a true servant of God. I want people to say the same about me. Thank you very much for listening to me for so long. There's always more to say, but never quite enough time to say it all. Please feel free to speak to me at any time. God bless and thank you.